Uh, would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8 this morning as we continue our journey through Mark? Uh, I've entitled the sermon this morning, Do You Not Understand My Compassion? Another way I think we could uh, title the sermon is, Do You Not Yet, Do You Not Yet Understand My Compassion? Uh, we've been talking a lot in the Mark series, Discipleship is a Process. And Jesus is a teacher, and he's a leader, and he's a guide. And part of leading and teaching and guiding is helping people learn. And so teachers teach, and leaders lead, and people who are being taught and people who are being guided need to learn and grow. Are you with me right now? And part of learning and growing, and we know this is true, when we sit under teachers and we sit under leaders, is uh, we have to uh, be taught. And sometimes the best lessons in life are what? The lessons where we fail, the lessons where we make mistakes, and so there is discipline involved in discipleship, and there is correction involved in discipleship, and there is rebuke involved in discipleship. Certainly, in an atmosphere of the gospel of grace in Jesus, uh, it's not through a legalistic, heavy yoke kind of way. It's, it's, it's because of love. It's because of kindness it's because Jesus loves those who he is teaching and he wants them to see and understand. But know this on the front end before we get into Mark 8. Jesus is not opposed to rebuke and correcting people who are following him. And we just need to like drink that in. If we could just drink that in for a moment before we get to the text. That there is a reality of our lives when we're under the way of Jesus, his vision, his way. Where we need to be taught and we need to think differently and we need to be corrected and rebuked. Amen? And we don't need to resist that. Especially when we're following Jesus who is our savior and who loves us unconditionally. And wants us to grow and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, Paul says in Romans 8 to be conformed more and more to the image of the Son. And so I hope today as we get into Mark chapter 8 that we would just allow the, 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 the text, the story, the way, the ministry of Jesus uh, to lead us and guide us. To correct us, to rebuke us so that we would grow and learn uh, this morning. Um, I want to give you some physical context of what's happening in Mark chapter 8. It's been a couple of weeks since we finished up um, Mark 7. And if you remember, Mark 7, the passage of Mark 7 ends in a place called the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is on the eastern shore, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And the Decapolis is 10 Gentile cities, pagan, Gentile, non-Jewish cities. And that's where uh, Jesus ended, where that's where Mark 7 ended. If you remember back in Mark chapter 5, you could mark this and go back later and read this. If you remember Mark chapter 5, Jesus had been in the Decapolis previously. And it's where uh, this man named Legion was. I don't think his name was Legion, but people named him Legion because he had so many demonic spirits. You remember the story? Mark chapter 5, Legion, uh, and, and Jesus healed this man, and he cast all of the evil spirits in him into what? Do you remember what they got cast into? Into pigs, and then what did the pigs do? And they run off the side of the kind of the embankment, and they were all drowned in the sea. And remember what Jesus told Legion to do after that, because Legion really wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to get in the boat and go with him, because why would he want to be with anyone else but who radically brought compassion and power and healing to his life? Uh, but Jesus didn't let him go with him. Jesus said to him in Mark 5, go home, 
Decapolis, go home and tell how much the Lord has done for you. Go give your testimony. Go bear witness. Go share with people about what I have done for you. Go back to your hometown. Go back, stay here in Decapolis and be a testimony to the goodness and the grace that God has for all people. Mark 5, 20 says, and he went, this man that the people called Legion, and he went away and began to proclaim, to bear witness, to share in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone there marveled. Everyone there in the Decapolis marveled. Now fast forward to Mark chapter 8 where we are today. Jesus again back in the Decapolis. The first time he was there in Mark 5, if you remember, the people, when they saw Legion in his right mind and he was clothed and he was in his right mind, the people of the Decapolis were afraid of the power of Jesus and they begged him to depart from their region. But this time it's different. This time it's different. Why? Because Legion had been sharing his testimony and everyone was marveling. They were afraid Jesus leave and Jesus left. He doesn't force himself on anyone. He left. But after he left, Legion begins to share his testimony and everyone was marveling. So this time, it's different. Instead of asking Jesus to leave when he arrived, a great crowd had gathered around Jesus. Everyone had been marveling. Their fear was being transformed. And at the very end of Mark 7, uh, where we were two weeks ago, the deaf man, if you remember, was healed and Mark 7, 37 says, and they, the people, everyone that had been marveling since Mark 5, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. This is, this is where we are. This is where the region is as Mark 8 begins. Uh, our passage today, we're going to be in the first 21 verses of Mark chapter 8. And Mark will tell us three pretty rapid-fire stories. There's not a whole lot of transition between each story. It's three rapid-fire stories of the ministry of Jesus. And the incidents, here's what I want to say on the front end so that you can be looking for this as we read these stories together. The incidents depict opponents, the opponents of Jesus, the opposition of grace and freedom, the Pharisees, okay, the incidents depict the opponents and the disciples, both and, slow to understand what God the Father is working through the person and the ministry of Jesus. It's both and. It's the opponents of grace and it's the disciples of Jesus. In these stories, you will see they are slow to understand, to really grasp what God is working through Jesus. And Jesus is correcting and rebuking both of them. They're slow to understand, and we see Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, correcting and rebuking both his opponents and the disciples. Jesus has a vision, a clear vision of what the kingdom of God is, and the calling of Jesus is for people to trust in that vision and submit to that vision. His vision, his vision, not my vision, not your vision, not our vision, the kingdom vision. Not the disciples' vision, their understanding, their perspective, their wants, their needs, their desires, their demands. Not the Pharisees' demands. A kingdom vision 
that Jesus has, and that's what he calls people to. Jesus invites, invites, radically invites, and welcomes all, all people. Grace is radically inclusive. We've been talking about that a lot over the last few weeks. But he doesn't invite them on their terms. He invites all, he welcomes all, but not on all's terms. Are you with me right now? It's on the terms of the kingdom, vision, values, way of Jesus. So you are invited and you are welcome. And let me help you understand the way of God, the way of Jesus, the way of grace. And so all are invited, but not on our terms. Grace meets you right where you are, right where I am, right where you are. Grace meets you. It's unmerited favor. It's, it's incredible. It's the best news in the whole world. Grace meets you right where you are radically, and then grace loves you so much it will not leave you there. It will empower you from there toward kingdom transformation, the renewing of your mind to the vision and the way of the kingdom of God. What, what am I saying? I'm saying this. A disciple of Jesus learns to trust and submit to Jesus. A disciple of Jesus learns, grows, is transformed to trust and submit to Jesus. Again, Jesus is a teacher who teaches. He's a leader who leads, and he doesn't shrink back. Jesus doesn't shrink back from preaching repentance, changing our minds, learning and growing. Why? Because he is loved, because he is kind. Romans 2, the kindness of God leads us to Repentance, And so this is the vision where we're going to get an understanding of the kingdom vision of what it is, of what it looks like. Jesus calling uh, people to submit, to trust in this vision in this way. And I would just say this before we begin to read the text. If we want to follow a, a Jesus, let me say it this way. If we want to follow a Jesus that doesn't rebuke and correct us, me, you, all of us people, then we probably shouldn't read the Bible Right? So, but if we're following Jesus, let's humble ourselves and allow ourselves to be taught and corrected and be transformed and be renewed in the way of the kingdom of God. Amen? We here? Okay, let's open our Bibles. Mark chapter 8. I'm going to start with uh, the first 10 verses. I'll be reading. Let me pull this up for you. Turn this on. See if I can get it. Let's see if that comes back in just a second. Let me just read this, these first 10 verses, which is the first story, okay? The feeding of the 4,000. We've already seen Jesus feed the 5,000. This is a little different. It's a little different, but it's also similar because it's the same compassion and power of Jesus, but different geographic location. Where are we? Where's the physical context again? In the Decapolis. Who lives in the Decapolis? The non-Jews, the Gentiles, right? Okay, here we go. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. That would be one thing to underline if you like to underline or highlight. I have compassion on the crowd. That's everyone there. That's everyone there. Because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, which is remarkable to think about. 
And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. The Decapolis was a big region, big area, okay? And the disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Doesn't this sound familiar to the feeding of the 5,000? How many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these should also be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. The people, all the people, this, this great crowd of people was satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full of leftovers. And they were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with the disciples and he went to the district of Dalmanutha, which, which most scholars believe is Magdala, um, so they're on the Decapolis side or the, on the eastern shore. And then after this feeding of this miraculous feeding of the 4,000, they get back in the boat and they, they literally just go from east to west. They, they, they boat just literally straight across the Sea of Galilee back to Magdala, which is on, on the Jewish side. And you can see when you're there, when you're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, I was there this summer, which is so fun that... that we're walking through the Gospel of Mark because I can see, it's, you can see the shore. It's a pretty large lake, but you can see over there. So they, this whole scene happens and then they go back over to the other side. So the first feeding miracle was in Mark chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000. Uh, Context-wise, this was the Jewish crowd. So it's the Jewish crowd, feeding of 5,000. So let's distinguish between the two. Feeding of 5,000 was on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. Feeding of the 4,000, our passage today in Mark 8, Jesus feeding the 4,000, a Gentile crowd. Here is a key point I want you to grab in the life and in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is prompted by his compassion in both the feeding of the 5,000 and also the feeding of the 4,000. His compassion, both stories, prompt him to miraculously bring abundance and provision and blessing and satisfaction to everyone in both contexts. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Here's another connection I want you to make in this story. Mark 7, the Syrophoenician woman, she lived in Tyre. Tyre is that area that's north of Israel, okay? Also pagan, Gentile, evil oppressors of Israel. And this story with the Syrophoenician woman opens the door to the reality, to the possibility that Gentiles could also be fed from Jesus. Now, she had a real understanding, if you remember the story, that her place in line was after the Jews. And Jesus, actually, if you remember the story, was pretty assertive and direct about that as well, that I've come first as the Messiah to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But that story certainly opens the door that the Gentiles would be fed, but it's not crumbs falling off the children's table this time, which is what she said. Yes, even, even the dogs get crumbs that fall off the children's table, if you remember the story, right? 
That's not what's happening here. There's this abundant provision for all of these Gentiles in this story. It's the same miraculous provision from Jesus's compassion and power. And they ate and they were all satisfied. All the 4,000. And I wonder if as we read through this, did you catch the disciples' slowness to understand the reality of his compassion and power for these people, their slowness and understanding that Jesus also has come to bring blessing, love, salvation to the Gentiles. The question that they asked him in verse four is this, where in this remote place, in this desolate place, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? It was just two chapters ago that they were the ones divvying out all of the provision from the five loaves and the two fish on the, on the Jewish side, and now they're here and they're like, where are we, what are we gonna do? Did they forget? Or did they just not want to embrace that Jesus was going to operate in the same compassion and power to the Gentiles? I don't think that there's any way possible they could have forgotten what Jesus did in feeding of the 5,000 on the Jewish side, do you? Certainly they would not have forget, for, forgotten that miraculous provision. I think they were slow to understand that Jesus the Messiah operates in compassion and power for everyone. They were slow to understand what God the Father was working through Jesus. Because the answer to their question, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? The answer to the question is obvious. It's from Jesus. That's where. That's where. He has enough to feed the entire world. The miracle happens. Everyone's abundantly fed. There are baskets of leftovers again. They get back into the boat and they sail from the Decapolis back over to the Sea of Galilee, back over to a place called Magdala, Mary Magdalene. Think Mary Magdalene, Magdala, Mary from Magdala, Mary Magdalene. You can see it there on the graphic, Magdala there right in the middle on the Western shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's a picture of what it looks like up above on the mountains looking at Magdala up to the north of the Sea of Galilee. That's where they are headed. And when they get there after this miraculous ministry, gracious, compassionate, powerful ministry to non-Jews, to Gentiles, the rule keepers are waiting for them. They're sailing, back, they're sailing back over to Magdala and the religious elite are waiting for Jesus and his disciples when they get there. That's verses uh, 10 and 12. Let's read verses um, 10, 11, and 12. Or 11 and 12. The Pharisees came, when they got there, the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus. They're, they're, they're hot under the collar. They're frustrated. It's pretty easy for religious people to get frustrated with grace people. Let me just tell you that from experience myself. I'm not saying that I understand it fully, but I like to be a grace person. And it's, it's, if you want to get really religious people upset, just talk about some radical grace of Jesus because they really like the rules and they really like fairness and they really like hierarchy 
And when the ministry of Jesus is blowing that up, they get pretty frustrated about it. And so here they are, pretty frustrated at the graciousness, the radical reality of Jesus's compassion and power for everyone, even the Gentiles. And they came and they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. I'm not going to ask you a show of hands, but I'm sure most of us in this room, some of us are just like, God, I just need a sign. Just need a sign. Ace of base, anyone out there? And Ace of Base, you're thinking it, I knew you were thinking it. Ace, you young people don't know who Ace of Base is, but when we were where you are, we knew who they were. Anyway, just making sure everybody's paying attention. Seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. This isn't like prayerful, God, just give me a sign. I really want to seek you, I want to follow you, give me a sign. That's not what's going on here, okay? That's not what's going on here, to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and he got into the boat again and he went to the other side. Which I think is pretty funny. Right? What's the other side? Who lives on the other side? The Gentiles. And so he's like, I'm not giving you a sign. Fellas, bring up the anchor. We're going back over there to the Gentiles. I've had enough with all these Pharisees, all these Jewish rule keepers. I think it's pretty funny. Okay, here we go. Be reminded as we think about Mark 8, 10 to 12. I want you to be reminded. Let's keep it there for a second. Because I know if I put it up there, you're going to read that and you're going to listen to me. Anyway. Be reminded of Mark 7, the first 20 or so verses of Mark 7, where we were a few weeks ago. Jesus is talking about cleanliness. Remember, outside in cleaning, inside out. It's the matters of the heart that matter. Nothing that comes from the outside can defile their, the religious people. were all trippy because uh, the disciples, they were not washing with ceremonial hands. OMG, you're breaking all the traditions. You remember the story? You guys, you guys with me? This is how they talk, right? Okay. The, and Jesus is teaching, correcting, rebuking, and he says the kingdom vision isn't about outside-in cleaning. It's not about outside-in legalistic behavior modification. That's not what the kingdom is. The kingdom is inside-out transformation. It's about matters of the heart. The kingdom vision of grace to everyone is being opposed in these two verses, 10, 11, and 12, or 11 and 12, by religious people who demand who demand behavior for blessing. I think that's the key. Like they demand behavior for blessing and Jesus is like, that's not the kingdom. That's not what grace is. Grace isn't behavior for blessing. That's not what I'm here to do. That's not the vision. And again, it's so hard for religious minded people to embrace Jesus because grace isn't fair. Grace is unmerited favor and this flies all over the Pharisees. Because they demand an outside-in way of transformation. They demand a legalistic behavior modification way of thinking about life following God. And the posture of the Pharisees is, is to defiantly test him. They're, in, they, they're coming against him. They want to test him. They're angry. They're frustrated. And Jesus sighs deeply in irrit irritation. It's like, uh, what's the NFL guys? Come on, man. He's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me right now? Here we 
He sighs deeply. He's irritated at their religiosity. Here's what they're asking for. What they are asking for, when they ask for this sign from heaven, right? It's not a prayerful, God, give me a sign. Show me your way so I can follow your way. No, that's not what's happening here. What they're asking for is something apocalyptic to destroy the Gentiles. Jesus had just come from the Decapolis and they're watching his boat come over, right? And they're going, we want a sign. We want a sign from heaven to destroy all those people over there that you just came from. That area, all those people that we want a sign to destroy them. The sign from heaven they're asking for is Israel's uh, deliverance from, from her enemies and their crushing defeat, the crushing military defeat of the Decapolis. That's what they're asking him for. Gilbert Bilzekian in his book, The Liberated Gospel, about this passage says the kind of Messiah that they want will never come. They are determined to find a compliment, compliant, a compliant Superman to fulfill their own earthly program. Their Messiah, their Messiah, what they're demanding, throws out the tyrants of the world and installs them to be the new tyrant. And they want Jesus to give them proof of what they demand. That's what's going on. That's what's happening. They're they're demanding of Jesus to give them a sign of what they're demanding. And Jesus will not be brought into their demands. He will not be boxed in by their false hopes. He just goes, oh, you want a sign to destroy those people over there? Hey, fellas, let's go back over there and minister again. I'll give you a sign. Here's the sign. We're going back over there to minister to them. What is the kingdom vision? That's the big question. What is the kingdom vision? What is the the grace of God kingdom vision for humanity? It's not for Jesus, the Messiah, to be sent by the Father to be a military king for Israel, but to give his life on the cross for all humanity. That is the kingdom vision. It's not to smash the enemies of Israel or to give Israel mastery over the world, but to open the door of forgiveness and restoration and redemption to the whole world, Gentiles included, to which all of us Gentiles say, hallelujah. Hallelujah, we are included, amen. Thank you, Lord, for coming for us as well. I think, again, I think it's pretty comical when Jesus just sighs deeply, just gets, goes right back over to the place where they wanted him to destroy. It's kind of like this in middle school, like, ooh, burn, burn. Or when you get a little bit more mature, you might learn what actually the word touche means. Like, I didn't know what the word touche meant or how to use it until I was well into my 40s. <laughs> but I think it's this, is like, oh, touche, Jesus, touche. You with me? He's back over there. I think it's really... Really fun and funny. Not only will I not give you a sign from heaven, I'm going to go back over there and bless them again. We get to the next text as Jesus and his disciples leave. The next text is dialogue that the disciples are having with Jesus on the boat as he's heading back to the other side. That's what the next text is. 
as they make this journey back over to the Gentile area, verses 14 to 21. Interesting conversation. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, the disciples. They had forgotten to bring bread. They're over in Magdala. They're heading back to the other side. And it's a journey. There's no bread on the boat. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. They, they had a loaf, right? They had a loaf. And he cautioned, Jesus cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Yeah, 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 Jesus. Beware of the Pharisees and the Herod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't got no bread. Oh, my gosh, we got no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Why are you tripping about the bread, homies? Why are you like getting anxious about no, not having bread? I mean, what did I just do? What did I literally just do? Like, why are you even having this conversation? Like, can you, can you sense the correction? Can you sense the rebuke that's going on with the disciples? This is the 12 disciples. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Remember what? What they've already seen him do. Not only did they see him do it, they were the ones that were giving the fish and the bread out to multi-thousands of people two times. It's not only that they were sitting there watching him, they were participating in the whole supernatural miraculous story. This This is remarkable. Do you not remember? And then he asks, starts to ask some questions. Like, okay, I'm gonna simplify this down for us real quick, homies. Right? I don't know that Jesus called his disciples homies, but maybe, maybe he did. Bros, buds, I don't know. You're with me right now, right? Here we go. So he asked him a question. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? It's like, it's, like, it's like Bible trivia time, although they didn't have a Bible. It's just, do you not remember? Like, how many? Like, here's a quiz. Here's a quiz. And they, and they said to him, 12. Ding, 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 ding. Right answer. You remember well. There's actually a basket for each one of you, and you feasted on it. Don't you remember that, right? Yes, 12. And when the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. Ding, 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 ding. Right answer again. Seven basketfuls left over. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand my compassion and my power for people, for you, for you? Do you not yet understand? It's this third Sea of Galilee incident that Mark records, what what we just read. Uh, The first one was the Mark 4 and Jesus calmed the storm. 
famous story, calms the storm. The disciples were terrified. If you remember the story, they were terrified. And Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith. Remember that? They were terrified and Jesus rebuked them. Have you no faith? Right? A disciple, a teacher, teaching. A leader, leading. Correcting, rebuking. The next Sea of Galilee story we have is in Mark 6. Jesus was walking on the water. And the disciples again, they were terrified. And Jesus again rebuked them for their lack of understanding and their hard hearts. This is the third Sea of Galilee with the disciples on a boat out in the middle. Jesus rebukes them again for what? For their quarrel, for their arguing about not having bread. And he says, he says they have hard hearts, blind eyes, and dull hearing. It's pretty direct. Can we disagree with that? It's pretty direct, assertive language, correcting, rebuking, teaching. Grace is radically inclusive and invites all to come, but not on all's, all's terms, not on our terms. And he says the leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees reject the kingdom vision. Beware of this. Guys, you need to open your eyes and hearts to radical grace, to the way of God, that grace welcomes all and transforms all in the way of the kingdom. The Pharisees are rejecting grace and freedom. Do you, do you guys understand, right? Are you guys picking this up? And they miss the lesson because they're so worried about their hungry bellies and their lack of food. They miss the whole lesson that he's gonna start teaching them. They had to learn, they had to grow, they had to change. That's what discipleship is, growing, learning, changing, submitting their will to the Father's will. The 12 had seen with their eyes and participated when Jesus fed the 5,000 Jewish people. They had seen, they had participated when Jesus fed the 4,000 Gentile people. They had upfront and personal encounters with the compassion and the power of Jesus, but they were still missing him. The disciples are missing the grace reality of his compassion and power to all people, even them. And they're part of it. What are we gonna do? We don't have any bread. They got all the bread. Everybody got bread. Where, where's our bread? I don't know what happened to the seven loaves of leftover. I mean, I don't know, but they're on the boat and they're like, I don't have any bread. But it's funny, when you really like read the story slowly, verse 14 says they had, did they have no bread? Or do you guys remember? What, what does verse 14 say? They had some bread? What was it? One. They had one loaf of bread with them. And then, and then they're arguing in verse 16. And Mark says they're arguing. They're saying they had how many loaves of bread in verse 16? No bread. This is so typical of human people. This is so typical of my life, perhaps your life. It's like, you got, you got, it's not in this massive abundant provision, but you got some provision right in front of you and they, they, they have one loaf, but then they, that one loaf becomes nothing, right? Are you with me? Like, we don't have any bread and there's a, there's a loaf right there. So it's not actually true. You're, you're, you're exaggerating the reality here. You're arguing that there's no bread, but there was actually one loaf of bread. But the one loaf with so little provision that it might as well have been none for them, I guess. And I, I'm not going to throw them under the bus. I can relate. I can relate. 
They were so focused on their lack and not on Jesus's power. They weren't focused on what they already had and the compassion and power of Jesus to multiply that. They lost sight of that reality. They're so focused on their lack, they just go straight to anxiety. They're so, they're, they, they, they lose sight of what Jesus had already blessed them with the stories and what they actually had the loaf that they go straight to anxiety. And when we go straight to anxiety, everything gets exaggerated. Can we agree with that? Everything gets exaggerated when we go to anxiety. And that's what's happening in this story. Jesus asked them the question, how many loaves were left over when I broke it for the five? And they answered, 12, yes. How many loaves were left over when I broke it for the seven? Or the, when I broke the seven loaves for 4,007, yes. Do you not think that I can break one loaf of bread and feed the 12 of you? Right? Do you not believe because I broke five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000, really about 20,000 people with 12 leftovers, and I broke seven loaves with some fish and fed 4,000 with seven baskets full of leftovers. You're sitting here with a loaf. Now you're focused on your lack and you're losing sight of my compassion and power. Your anxiety has moved this to no bread. But do you not think that I can take this one loaf that you have and break it and feed the 12 of you right here in this moment? Do you not believe that? Do you not trust me in that? Do you not yet understand I will do the same for you? The disciples are so much like me. Easily forgetting the provision that they already have. Easily forgetting the promises of God. Easily forgetting the compassion and the power of God when life's circumstances feel overwhelming. There's no way the crowd can get bread in this desolate place, verse four. There's no way. There's no way this one loaf of bread will feed all of us. Their anxiety over such things keeps them from looking up and trusting what they have. Their anxiety keeps them from looking up and trusting what they have to Jesus' compassion and power. They can easily recall the number of leftover baskets from each experience, but they cannot see, they cannot see that they have the bread maker in their boat with them. They, they lose sight that the bread multiplier is literally in the boat with them and they have a loaf and they watched and they saw and they didn't remember and the bread maker is right there with them. And we go to anxiety and we think of the worst possible outcomes. We play life forward, the what if game. Anyone else, maybe it's just me, the what if game. When I start focusing on my lack, we play the what if game forward. Well, when I play the what if game forward in my anxiety, guess what? I don't think of the best possible outcomes. I think of the worst possible outcomes. And I have an anxious moment. I have feelings in the present about something in the future that's going to the worst possible thing that's going to happen. And guess who's not here with me in my future? Jesus, his compassion and his power and his provision. It's just me all by myself. I'm alone. I'm alone. Anyone else in the room? Maybe don't raise your hands. 
Do you not yet understand? Unlike the Pharisees, the disciples' issue is not a defiant refusal to see. Their issue is having a hard time seeing. I'm having a hard time seeing. Discipleship is a process, and thankfully, Jesus is a patient teacher and a patient leader and a patient Lord. He is abundant in steadfast love and mercy, so patient in the process of becoming free and understanding. But they must not just see. They must not just see and experience his compassion power. They saw it and they participated in it in the feeding of the 5,000, Mark 6, and the feeding of the 4,000, Mark 8. They couldn't just see it and believe it. They must, here's the key word, they must trust it now in their own story and their situation where there was lack and they didn't understand it all. When their bellies were hungry and they didn't know what to do, they had to not just see it and believe it, but to trust in it themselves. I want you uh, to consider this as we close up this morning from these verses. Uh, Belief can exist and not affect a person's choices. Like you can see something and you can believe something, but it actually not affect the way you live your life. I just, I'm just, this is a statement. I'm just inviting you to consider the statement. Now you may agree, you may disagree, and that's okay. We can have coffee and we can talk about it. It's fine. This is just a statement that belief can exist and not affect a person's choices. So a person, a person can believe that flying is safer. Since it's, it's stats, it's the rea- flying is safer than driving. And yet they can remain in fear and never fly. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe it. I believe the stats that, yes, when you put out, yes, flying is safer than driving, but I'm driving everywhere and I'm never gonna fly, right? You can believe something and it not affect a person's choices. Here's another example. The disciples arguing about one loaf of bread. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I believe, I believe that Jesus can feed multitudes with like a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually, I believe it. I saw it. Oh my gosh, we don't have any bread, guys. We got no bread. We got nothing here. When they had one and they had the bread maker, right? Belief can exist and not affect a person's choices. Trust, trust results in submission and obedience. But trust, even when, even when life circumstances are unknown and we're feeling anxious and we don't know and it feels like a lack and we're not sure, like, belief can exist and not affect my choices, but trust results in submission and obedience. Make no mistake, and I think we've seen this clearly in the passage today, that Jesus cares deeply about submission and trust and obedience to his vision and his 
way, not again, not, not religious, not legalistic, not fundamentalism, not like that kind of obedience based on fear, but grace-centered, life-giving obedience based on trust. You gotta trust me. You gotta trust me. You gotta trust me. And I love you enough. I love you enough to correct you and to rebuke you because I love you. This is, this is the way of Jesus. And then that last question, I'm just gonna let that, I'm just gonna let that linger with you this morning. I'm gonna try to tie this up for us in some fancy way. I'm just gonna let this question of Jesus linger in your heart, mind, spirit, in your life and in your story. Do you not yet understand? How do you answer that question? How do you wrestle with these kingdom realities, the kingdom vision? Do you not yet understand? Another question Jesus asked, do you not remember? Do you not remember? Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp to our feet, it is a light to our paths. Lord, we are grateful that we get to be in your word and, and be fed this morning from the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we, we believe and we are in submission, Lord, that your, your word is authority for our lives and it, is, it has been positioned in our life to set us free. And part of the way that works, Lord, as we come under your word is that your word teaches us and it rebukes and corrects and leads us. So I pray that we would be renewed in our minds today in the kingdom vision that we would trust, not just believe, but trust and submit our will to your will and that we would follow and trust even when we don't have all the answers, that we would believe and we would trust. I pray faith, I pray faith over your people and trust. It's your kindness, Lord. It's your steadfast love and mercy, Lord, that teaches us and leads us and corrects us and disciplines us and matures us in the way of the kingdom of God and Jesus. In your name we pray.